0: Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Eucliss, and today I'm joined by my great friend, Joe Simpson. In this episode, we talk about his childhood, what it's like to grow up studying in Catholic schools, and how Joe became less religious over the course of his life given the colorful history of religions, regardless of which denomination you practice. Next, we talk about Joe's love for history, what about it that interests him, and some of his favorite historical figures. With our present-day geopolitical conflict with Russia and Ukraine, and even China, it's no different from what happened in the past with the likes of Great Britain and the Dutch. We also talk about the rise of decentralization and the emerging popularity of cryptocurrency. We go a little further along and discuss the possibility of developing artificial intelligence and eventually when we'll be able to come into contact with extraterrestrial life. Please enjoy. to the latest episode of Entangled. Tonight, I am so excited to be joined by my great friend, Joseph Simpson. Joe, how are you? Good, man. How are you doing? Great to be here. Awesome, man. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Glad to. Well, so maybe to kick things off, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure.
1: So if you don't know me, my name is Joe Simpson. I have been in Denver here for three and a half, coming on four years. I feel like I've known you pretty much the entire time. Got to know you uh, through your coworker, Tibby. But yeah, I just give the uh, full in depth. Originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Lived there, grew up there. Uh, originally, actually, from from Oklahoma City, if we're gonna get detailed here. But then moved to Tulsa when I was seven with the family. I have a younger sister, Allie, mom and dad, Lee and Allen. I love you very much. Yeah, grew up there, uh, like I said. And uh, until I went to college at OU, moved down to Dallas, and then popped up here a few years ago. Awesome. And what was it like growing up in Tulsa? Tulsa is uh, a unique place. It's it's very okay. it's it's nice. It's also you know it's a, it's a little generic, it's a little vanilla. You know, growing up there you don't know that at the time. But it's a great place to grow up. It's inexpensive if you're raising a family. I can see why my family stayed. They both have good jobs and you know where to make that. And it's a pretty wholesome place. So it's it's overall i it's pretty good. I give it I give it, you know,
0: five or six out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, were you like in the downtown area or is there one or?
1: Yeah. Great question. I lived in Midtown. So as, as it says, you know, we're just south of downtown.
0: Okay. Gotcha. And did you go to big school?
1: No, no, no. I went to a small, all, all the elementary schools there in Tulsa are small. And then after that, I went to a, a small private uh, Catholic school afterwards. So for middle school and high school. Yeah.
0: What was? Go cash uh, a
1: Let's go bulldogs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <laughs> What uh, was it like going to Catholic school?
1: You know, it was weird. I'm not Catholic. Um, It's a good math and science school in Tulsa. So that was really objective for my parents. It's weird going to chapel every day and then having full service on Thursdays. And you don't understand what's going on Mm -hmm. until after a while. But yeah, overall, the priests priests live there. They're very nice people. So great education. Couldn't complain too much.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I went to Catholic school for like a year and – in high school and there were like three Jewish kids and I was one of them. So like that was kind of a a bit of an ostracizing thing. Yeah. Did you feel that at all not being Catholic?
1: You know, I actually have to give it up to Kasha. They were really, really good about exploring other religions, which sounds wild, right? Even in middle school, we took a year long class called uh, exploring religions or something like that. And they went into depth of, you know, most, not only major religions, but some of the, you know, less common Uh, Sex. I think that they understood that you know they were there to as a school primarily, and then also you know it's never good to have someone feel a part of the community if you're pushing them out if you're not one of us. I don't know. Mm -hmm.
0: So, Hmm. so as you got exposed to those different religions, did any of them resonate with you specifically?
1: Yeah, I definitely. I would say Buddhism is. I think it's a classic, right? I think that was just. The concept of you know being a good person and, and thinking about your life and more in depth and, and basically the genesis of how um, you know it, it came about. I, it's it shouldn't be quizzed. quiz yeah, here. I can't remember. Uh, I think it was Siddhartha or whomever you yeah, know came through and how he did, kind of discovered and came to Buddhism in, in, in its final form is interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. And so has that like, has. Religion been something that's remained an interest to you, or where would you say your views are on the the God versus science spectrum? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's
1: a good question. Um, no, I would say as I've gotten older, the less I've uh, you know believed in God, much more in science. I um, I never was super religious as a kid, and then as I've gotten
0: older, it's not gotten stronger. Yeah. What do you attribute that to? Just other interests, or don't believe in it. If you're a student of history at all,
1: you kind of see some of the things that have happened with the church, various religions. it's not just you know Christianity or Catholicism, but yeah you know, there's a lot that goes on and yeah, its just it's asking just to believe in something blindly is I think becomes more difficult the older you become.
0: And when you talk about like the things that happened with the church, are you talking like with the the scandal in um, the 90s. I mean, it could be
1: scandals, but I mean, if you can go back to like the you know ninth century when you're taking a look at you know popes and how they were you know established and they made king. They were kingmakers based on who was the right family or gave money. You know, it just yeah. How do you trust something like that?
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's almost like the the hierarchical structure of it just inherently makes you. Hesitant to believe anything they're saying in a way. For sure. Exactly.
1: Well, also just kind of the heresy of someone who's saying they're holier than now and they yeah. don't act like it, right? And whether or not Christianity, and we'll take this specific example, has a root in a lot of great ideas. And I mean, you know, there could have been someone named Jesus Christ who led an exemplary life and really changed kind of a lot of mindsets. Maybe it's human nature mm-hmm. and the distance from that happening that it kind of spiraled away from that.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's spot on, man. I, I resonate with that sentiment so much. Like It seems to me that when you look at what a lot of these spiritual leaders were saying, like Siddhartha, like <coughs> Jesus Christ, they were talking about direct experience with God, right? The The kingdom of heaven is within you. Mm-hmm. But then these organized religions came along and put leaders on top of it and said – God is who I tell you it is and who yeah. I say it can be for you.
1: Yeah. I and mean, to keep going message. on the Christianity aspect, you imagine, you know, same time in the ninth, we'll go by the ninth century and, you know, there's a, all these got Pope and everybody else, but they're speaking to you in Latin and that's how you're supposed to believe, you know, everything coming
0: through. I mean, language you don't even understand. That's a great point. A language that's not even spoken anymore, right? It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Anyway, um, growing up, I know we were talking before the show started that Mm -hmm. uh, your parents worked a lot and so you had a lot of time on your own. Yep. So I'm curious, like, what was it like, you know, kind of growing up on your own and and figuring stuff out? (laughs) Probably funny. (laughs) It
1: was, um, it was good. I mean, I think it definitely helped me create a little bit of, uh, you know, a little creativity and a little critical thinking abilities, but I I mean, it wasn't like starving. They were just basically gone all day. And I had more time to probably be in mischief than I should have. (laughs) Any
0: good jokes that you uh,
1: pulled when you were a kid? You know, I think I remember less the jokes and and more me fake signing detention slips that I forget. Didn't ever show my parents. I forgot to show my parents. That's funny.
0: Yeah. And you were talking earlier about being a student of history. When did that interest in history develop for you?
1: Good question. Honestly, I don't know. I think uh, it's just something that's always piqued my interest and in kind of maybe just hearing stories or, or people who have done specific things, you know, kind of came to me.
0: What do you it. think it is about like hearing other people's stories that's interesting to you? That's a good question. I uh, I think it's
1: incredible to see people who do extra human things, make yeah. extra human efforts, right? Um, I think when you hear these things and that they're not always like, you know, often today you talk about a company that's successful and you just assume that they were, you know, it's a linear path to success, but when it's not and odds that overcome or things that happen to them that they manage to handle in a certain situation is is interesting. Mm -hmm. And because, uh, you know, maybe you can put yourself in that position too. And also cool to hear people are, can make it go above and beyond, or do crazy things.
0: Yeah, like getting just to hear that story of self-actualization, and just having that spirit that just says, "I'm not going to give up, no matter how how bad things may seem right now."
1: Yeah, and, and look, I mean, history is obviously not always perfect either. It's interesting to read about people who maybe manip- manipulate the system in a certain way, and just I think human. Humans themselves are interesting. And so, you know, examples that are kind of tail on the bell curve of normalcy are interesting, right? Yeah.
0: The outliers, right? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Good or bad? For sure. For sure. That is super interesting. It's like – and if you think about it, it almost is like those are the people who make history. Sure. Almost by definition.
1: Yeah. If you're the outlier, they're going
0: to want to have a record of that, right? Mm. Unless – Yeah. Who are some of the people throughout history that are the most interesting to you?
1: Oh, that's a tough question.
0: Uh, honestly, a lot of it is a, a lot of
1: military type stuff. Um, you know, if you're Alec, Alexander the Great, was always cool. You look at the Romans and um, you know some of their how they conquested around the Mediterranean, and, and then U.S. presidents I think mm-hmm. are very interesting. I also – I'll tell you another thing that I find interesting is like a collective movement of of, of history. So like I find the German unification really interesting. You're talking about after World War II? No, this is in the late 1800s. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before then, Germany was a little collective like hundreds or I can't remember exactly like little like states, right? And they still worked together because they had like economic, cultural, Uh language ties – but they were never one. Uh-huh. And so over, you know, again, it's been forever since I've read about this. So, I, you know, Bismarck eventually comes through from Prussia and starts to really bring them through, you know, might and, and influence brings them together. Damn. Yeah. So and all the different people that come through and how they do that. But just like, yeah, you see the people change. Yeah. And so that's interesting. It's not necessarily like one person. You know, go and, and again, just like human aspect of it.
0: Yeah, that is cool. And what I love, and I think it gets to also what you're saying about why you like history in general is just like thinking about how cultures and societies were so different. And like you think about Bismarck's time, you said like what, like early 1800s? Like it's really not that long ago. No, it's you know, <laughs> sort of the
1: late 1800s. So this is yeah. like 150 years ago.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, that's wild. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And think what we've seen just in Germany in the last 150 years. I mean, it's pretty wild. Like, what do you think we're going to see in the next 150 years?
1: That's that's an insane question, especially now as, um, you know, we're watching Russia invade Ukraine, mm-hmm. right? And there's so, much, so many different dynamics that are happening that you can almost see, like, teetering of World War III. Like, wow. Like,
0: yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And that's what's wild about, obviously, World War III is, you know, World War 2 the most dangerous weapon was a nuclear bomb and you know we dropped the 3 that we had like what happens in World War 2 or sorry World War 3.
1: Yeah, I know. It's it's a much more dynamic game though. Um, I think the US has really learned a lot about leveraging their financial system mm-hmm. uh, over the past years and the pains of Afghanistan and Iraq are just you know don't want to go back to war. Yeah. Um, I I'd say uh, of anything, it's interesting to see how all the other com- countries are kind of working together too. Though, seeing European countries unify, um, China, you know, re- China being reached out to by Russia and if they're helping them out, what's going on? And mm-hmm. you know, I even saw today that the uh, or I think it was the Middle East is looking to sell denom- uh, oil in you know, yuan denomination instead of U.S. dollar. Really.
0: Yeah, so that's I wild. mean, I mean, it's, and you know how important the petrodollar is for propping up our system—it's crazy.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: That's what's uh, you know, that's what's interesting to me. And you know, I uh, Ray Dahlia talks a lot about like what happens when oh, yeah. we were in this kind of transition point. Yeah, well, I know we're talking about Ray, and uh, I still haven't had a chance to watch his new video. <laughs> Some read the book, so <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's same same exact idea I'm yeah. sure in both. But like, uh, just that we're we're. In this archetypal transition in world power dominance, and that it looks like if you look at all the traditional classic indicators of for example, when we became the world power after the uh Great Britain and then the same as Great Britain after the Dutch et cetera et cetera, mm-hmm. you kind of start to see these trends emerge and you know based on where we are in the cycle and where China is, and you know where our economic system is in the long-term debt cycle it does show a lot of concerning trends i mean there's no way to there's no way to sugarcoat it yeah i
1: would say concerning for who
0: i think everyone involved right because the more likely of a geopolitical war
1: yeah that's i mean that's a fair point that is a fair point you would hope that if there is a transition and it will be i mean just by sheer numbers china is going to be a larger economy than us and a world power i mean they, they but you would hope that the transition is a lot more peaceful and suitable for way. sure. Because I think, you know, peace-wise, economically, like, and just the welfare of all states that are involved, that you you'd hope that there is kind of a. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be you know, no tension, but yeah, I mean, lack of tension. But I, you'd hope that it'd be that not go to a world war. Certainly hope so. Um, I, but that I, is that I, is what he I, says, right? Mm-hmm. He's like it always is kind of that change of, 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 guard through conflict.
0: Mm-hmm. At least that's how it's been, but I'm optimistic that, you know, just because that's what humanity chose to do in the past doesn't mean it's what we have to do in the future, right? We don't have to be victims of our history and keep making the same mistakes, but I don't know. I, I just hope people are, are students of history enough to recognize what's going on and where we are and that we are at a very scary time in the history of, geopolitical conflict. Yeah,
1: I agree. I, I think it's something that honestly, if, if you're a student in history, I'm going to tell you one thing is that, you know, you can't, it's impossible to predict the future, mm-hmm. right? Everybody in history has thought they've got it figured out for sure. So I don't know. I, I, I do hope that there's a peaceful transition as well. I don't think there's any need to go to war. I would love to see our military budget spent in better ways. Uh-huh. Um, but do I think a military budget right now is a, is a necessary thing? Absolutely. You mm-hmm. know, not only is it a
0: deterrence, but it's a technological driver for us right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I I know disagree on this topic in general, but I would argue oh, it's actually yeah, right. a, a technological suppressor. But okay, you know, well, yeah, let's delve into that. Yeah, and look, I don't have the stats on me offhand. Oh, neither but, do I. So, it's okay. but you know, there's yeah, but I mean, you know, it's it's well known that the NSA and other intelligence agencies have seized. Several hundred patents over the last several years on new technologies that I don't know if they already did have developments in within their unacknowledged programs, but regardless of whether or not those new inventors, it from the market. Yeah, you're, yeah, and you're keeping it out of being used for peaceful purposes of getting us off the oil and gas infrastructure, right? So it also reduces competition.
1: Like mm-hmm. everybody knows, the best ideas come to fruition <laughs> are, are proven in the natural market, right? And by that, I mean, you know, kind of in the open market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I definitely – is the U.S. government perfect? Absolutely not. I don't know that there is a perfect government, Mm -hmm. to be frank. Going back to our hierarchical structures conversation regarding religion. Mm -hmm. Because we've seen even CEOs of companies make bad uh, choices. But, yeah, I I, I don't know. There needs to be an evolution of the military complex, industrial Mm -hmm. complex Mm -hmm. too, that is – you know, how we represent ourselves to the world and how we manage ourselves.
0: Yep. Yep. And I fully agree with you on the point about like just power structures in general. And I think that the reason, I don't know how to say this the right way necessarily, but like that the, the reason that all these power structures have kind of these same negative characteristics is because they all kind of stem from the same line of thinking, right? Like like, and so anyway, like that's why I'm just thinking through, like, what are ways that we can do better in the future? Like, are you like DAOs? Have you heard of those at all? I'm sorry, DAOs, DAOs.
1: Mm-mm. It's
0: like decentralized autonomous organizations, I think. Okay. But I and, and I don't like understand it, the technicalities of it all. But it sounds effectively like you're you're treating a company, yeah, like a cryptocurrency in a way where like the decision making is decentralized. Okay. You know? Yeah, so how, how would you do that, like,
1: internally? Like, each employee has, like, tokens. You're monitoring
0: your revenue through
1: tokens.
0: You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's way above my pay grade. But it's a cool concept, right? I mean, I, I would
1: say, yeah, decentralizing a lot of uh, decision-making would certainly help out get not only the gra- grassroots of, like, mm-hmm. what's going on, right? Because then you'd truly be listening to... Um, everybody who are the sources of the problems. But I would also, I mean, hopefully be a really clean, like easy, fast transaction because the only scare that I would have would be with bureaucracy, adding bureaucracy to For sure. decision-making processes. And that's sure. why you have the hierarchies. Like you're supposed to be more educated, more experienced, wiser, what have you. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to be able to make decisions better, faster, smarter than as a collective whole.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another thing that would be tricky too, I think, with the DAO concept is like if the coding or whatever it even would be is like too rigid. That like could that end up making it too inflexible of a management structure?
1: Yeah, almost like a ERP or CRM type <laughs> software operating systems. We've all used those. Yeah, exactly. They were like great back in the day, and then now you're like, Yo, WTF? What oh my the fuck God. Is going on? Siebel, you ever use that? Oh, yeah. Oh, my, oh, my God. Siebel my Systems? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Never heard of it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> i blocked that out. I, mean, like... I saw that meme the other day that's like, you know, you work for a tech startup when it's like, you, <laughs> you do. do your CRM on YATZU. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And entire time on YouTube just some names.
1: 100%, 100% correct. Like, working for uh, you know a smaller startup now, it's, it's comical almost because... We've got you know, so many different random ass things. They're like, "Oh, this makes it simpler," and it's like, "No, we have like literally like twenty different you know <laughs>
0: yeah, right. that I'm using." Yeah. I'm
1: like, "What?" And they change, and they're literally having a conversation right now about should we change out some of the you know software we're using right now in our stack? And I was just like, "God, no!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> just eliminate. Let's simplify. Yeah. You know? So. That's so funny. And they all like claim to be able to do what the others do, but they're all like a little different and some are <laughs> a little bit better at other things. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah.
1: Classic <laughs> software game.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: so then how would you uh, evolve the coins? Like, what do you like know of cryptocurrency and like it's ability uh, evolution? Cause what um, do you mean? Well, okay. Great. I'll give an example. I think that, you know, you talk about Bitcoin now is like truly just a, an asset. Mm-hmm. right that you own ethereum is meant to be uh, a platform that you can build upon you know put you name it you know your business games your platform on there um and then now there are even coins that are like built onto like ethereum to make it faster because mm-hmm. ethereum's is really to more expensive mm-hmm. so i mean what would you have to do and like be able to do if you're going to run your whole business on a, on a crypto coin. I mean, really it really would be a software kind of locked in. Well, or
0: you'd have to evolve it. It's like... I, I get what you're saying. Soft, so, so soft. I, I don't know if there's necessarily, like, a coin, per se. Like, there's not necessarily a monetary... Although, I guess if you're doing a company, you would have to effectively, right?
1: Well, I don't know if it's Bitcoin. I mean, you have to have an NFT... In, in you can do an NFT process or, like, some sort of coin. But, yeah, basically, it's blockchain. So there have to be things... Um, on the, on the blockchain.
0: Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's all pretty early stage ideas at this point. I love the idea of accounting and revenue
1: management and all that, that on a blockchain. For sure. That sounds fucking tight. Mm-hmm. I did read a cool story, and this is probably two years ago, where Walmart did some blockchain chain testing, and you know, their uh process of supply chain found like an orange that came from you know, who knows somewhere in South America. It took them something like I think two, two days, three days to figure it out through the same process. Mm. And that was quick for them. Obviously, they were focusing on it. And then it took 20 minutes through blockchain to do the same. Because they had like mm. set up, they were like testing the blockchain to see that they built internally as like a supply chain management tool. Yeah. And so I think that kind of real-time information would be. Invaluable. Yeah. Supply chain right now is one of the hottest topics in all of businesses. They say it's one of the best majors to be having right now if that's kind of your glory moment is in supply chain. Mm-hmm. And so I think crypto and blockchain
0: with that would be phenomenal. Yeah. We looked at a really cool company that was doing like a uh, kind of exactly that, like for the pharmaceutical industry where it was like, blockchain but for every single supply that was going into it because like counterfeiting is a big issue in pharmaceuticals and like you have to make sure f- for efficacy purposes you have the right ingredients and all that stuff so yeah, yeah and like monitoring totally your sources mm-hmm.
1: so how was it how much did you throw in there <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was too far outside of our strike zone but yeah. it's a cool company
1: yeah i mean it sounds cool mean uh-huh. obviously that is the exact type of industry to want to go after
0: mm-hmm.
1: um there's a, a new company I saw out of Dallas actually called O Nine, 9 and they are like the new hot AI kind of, you know, supply chain management, stuff like that. So yeah. it's heading in that direction. I'm sure eventually, you know, uh, blockchain will become like that pharmaceutical, the company servicing, uh, pharmaceutical industry will become mainstay. Like everybody mm-hmm. will start to use that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think about artificial intelligence? Mm. I love it. I get it, It's a little scary, but yeah, can't be too afraid of the dark. Yeah. <laughs> kind of got to get in there, figure out what's, what's in there. So I think it's cool.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm optimistic too. I, I
1: am too. I, I look, um, you know, we're not perfect, but I, I think, uh, I don't think we're <laughs> hopefully not dumb enough to, to really screw up too bad.
0: Yeah. Well, and here's the thing that I think about too, is like. I think if intelligence by its own nature would like not want to destroy, right? Like it, it would well, unless as it is
1: assertive, like, you know, wants to, to dominate, to dominate intelligence. Right? I get
0: that. But like, even you think about like <clears throat> human society, right? Like what we were just talking about, with world war three and shit, like clearly n- domination is a less effective long-term strategy.
1: Well, it depends. So I will actually say uh, this. What if you felt like you were so much smarter than everybody else and you needed to get them in line? And so you started to manipulate them to go towards any goal, even though maybe it's kind of like a little bit of chess move, like move them left, right? So once I control this society of people, then I can put them in the right direction and move along. That's the kind I of like dominance that I would be uh, scared of if it was yeah. too smart for its own good.
0: Yeah. And I feel like that even just comes back to our society where we're just used to these hierarchical structures so we just think that naturally whoever is at the top is going to dominate the rest right
1: yeah and maybe that's That's my mindset
0: but i mean it's not a it makes total sense that you'd have that mindset when what other examples do you really have to go off of that aren't (laughs) that way yeah yeah no exactly uh, so
1: see the aliens come down (laughs) and start teaching us the right way i gotta say that is the thing. Like, if there are aliens out there, and I, uh-huh. I think, for one, there's like a 99.99% chance there's
0: other life out there. Uh-huh.
1: Now, the question becomes intelligent life. Sure. How intelligent? And
0: is it close enough? Are they in our same time frame? Right? Yeah. All that I mean, stuff. I get there's There's
1: variables and all that. So, but if they are that advanced and so good, and a lot of times, you know, the, someone who speaks about extraterrestrial life mm-hmm. puts it in like this, like wiser, holier-than-thou type version the other just come down and, you know, not be crazy. I mean, what if it's just like some drunk hillbilly alien (laughs) that comes down and invades us? Or if they are so smart, why don't they come down and
0: teach us how to, like, have all peace and advance the overall
1: globe into a better direction?
0: Yeah. Well, the argument I've heard on that front, which from, like, the extraterrestrial community is that with evolution of consciousness and, and transcending to be like a intergalactic species Uh you have to get there yourself right like they can help and like kind of show you the way but it has to be like our own initiative to get there
1: yeah i i get it but i just i feel like when you see like a turtle trying to cross the road and <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: or you see like a rabbit with a hidden, you know, hurt leg. Like yeah. you pick up the turtle and you move it across the road. Like, but, but I think they have done that. that. I think, think they of, have done it. that,
0: right? Like think about, you've probably seen some of the, like the documentaries, like they all talk about all these sightings over nuclear sites. I think they have actually probably stepped in at times when we were on the brink of the war.
1: It's like pushing us
0: away. Yeah uh yeah i mean that's that's fair i'd wish they'd come in
1: and like do the whole you know the whole thing kind of late.
0: yeah like the, uh, like the uh, arrival kind of thing and just be like all right you know i'm talking mm-hmm. about that that movie with the uh, amy adams yeah awesome movie yeah
1: sure but
0: you know look i just need it to happen yeah <laughs> <laughs> i gotta believe what i see it. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> i mean i definitely again i believe there's life out there i just if they're that smart they need to come help us out
0: <laughs> yep well, uh, it's funny because you're talking both of your parents has had different yeah. times seeing them, right? Yeah, this is kind of what would, uh, made me think about this. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, they definitely did. My dad has the classic story. That evidently, he and his sister were outside and they're like um, three dots like hanging in the sky. And she calls it out. My dad's like, She's like, hey, Alan, look at that. And he's like, whoa, what the hell is that? They shift left, pause like super quickly. And what? Because, yep. You know, shift to the right, move around a couple times, and then dart off. Mm-hmm. And even he, he said it was funny because a couple years ago he brought this up to her, his sister, and she goes, Oh, yeah, I totally remember that. Because it was an, it made a big impression. Them yeah. The, time. the good story is my mom. Yeah. She's the one that's got like the best story of all time because she is as straight laced <laughs> as it comes. She's, uh-huh. Uh, awesome lady, a lot of fun, but um, very logical person. She's an attorney, and like I said, pretty pretty, pretty straight laced. She swears up and down that in her teens, she was upstairs watching TV, uh-huh. and um, they had this balcony that she walk out to, and she saw
0: a flash. Was she in Oklahoma?
1: Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I'm glad uh, you asked that because this is a part of the story. In that. Um, she's actually up in Wakomas, so which is right outside of Enid. And okay. It's like farming country, classic, like what people think of Oklahoma, that's it. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but there's, uh, an air force base, Vans air force base mm-hmm. is between like her and Enid or I think either that or the farm is between it and Enid. So really close. Yeah. Anyway, she sees a flash one night, walks out to the balcony, and swears up and down like she can vividly see it today. And she describes it as this, a flying saucer that had like red and green lights around the middle. And it was the same description as my dad, you know, like zip left, zip right. And she just kept like flashing things. And the funniest part is she's like, you know, like the old cameras back in the day, you know, they give a flash. It's like almost like that. And it zips off. She goes downstairs, tells her parents, and they're like, This is what I love. Her parents aren't like, Yeah, you're crazy. Get back upstairs. They're like, All right. Well, if you're saying that, we got to call somebody. <laughs> so they end up calling like the police or somebody, you know, I think out uh, of uh, the Air Force Base. And uh, they there were no other no, like recorded sightings. So nobody else called in. Interesting. Yeah. But I thought that was funny. Her parents were like, Well, fuck it. I mean, if yeah. you said that,
0: <laughs> we got to tell somebody. You said that they they were by an air force base. Yeah, there's a big air force training grounds. Um, interesting out there. And and is that's in Oklahoma as well? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. Well, so another argument from the extraterrestrial community is that a lot of these craft that people see are actually either like craft that have been down that we've learned how to control yeah, I mean, yeah, or, or, or like alien reproduced vehicles that we've just built from the ground up. So it's basic. possible that they were flying something around. No, I, I, that's, that's wow. something
1: she throws into herself. She's uh-huh. like, Look, like I do want to mention, I was also close to an air force base. Like,
0: cause she has the same
1: thought pattern. Right? Yeah. Like either they're testing something or whatever, but she's like, I know what I saw. Yeah. And I wasn't like crazy. I was like, but mom, you know, were you really into like, um, you know, kind of science fiction or anything like that and she's like, well, look, everybody watched star Wars, but that was it. Like I wasn't, that's a totally different shape. Like I yeah. saw a flying saucer, yeah. Joe. <laughs> so it was like a saucer shape. That's, that's how she described uh-huh. it. I mean, I haven't had to like draw it out. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, well, that's the
0: next step. So everyone's going to do back <and laughs> next week. Yeah. 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 We'll post it on the Instagram page. <laughs> it, it, it,
1: the artwork for the, uh, for the podcast.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Go
1: for my episode. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that'd <It's> be so funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean look, I I just go back to the extraterrestrial stuff. Obviously, yeah. I think that there is probably something out there. Um, and I, I I think all the sightings of things do have like some base in reality. It'll just be really cool. I just want to be there. Maybe I'm just like selfish. I just want to be there when the aliens come and I can see all this crazy yeah. cool stuff happen.
0: I don't think that's I, selfish. But, yeah, because I want it to happen now. Oh, uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I want to see. Yeah. It. I think we're closer to it than you think. Maybe. I really do. What was it? What was the uh, the show, the, the movie you had me watch? Closing Kind of the Fifth Kind. One, if we
1: get 1% of the people to meditate together. There you go, man. We <laughs> yeah. make it happen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But it was fun when yeah. we did the meditation uh, part and looked for aliens. In yeah, the yeah. And it's unfortunate it turned out, like cloud shifted. That's the bad part. Of yeah, the, like, being in the mountains. And
0: it was so cold too. <laughs> yeah. it's just it's just not fun when it's like that cold. You're like, fuck, you can't even look at the stars. Well, but thanks for doing that with me though. I appreciate yeah, it. We'll have to do it it's in uh, uh, Telluride. Yeah, dude, definitely. That would be perfect. I mean, yeah, that's beautiful, clear skies there. Telluride's amazing. Yeah, we went to uh, a camping trip to Telluride a few years ago, and um. That was such a fun trip, man. You you were telling me about a lot about Teddy Roosevelt on that trip, and, and yeah. how you've really enjoyed his uh, his life. Oh, I mean, it, it's
1: hard to be uh, an American boy and not enjoy Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, this guy is a fucking clown. You know, if you read a lot about him, he's kind of an absurd little, little guy, and uh, he really you know makes something of himself. Uh, he's just he's a character, and the best thing is that he really has his heart. For the most part, as long as you're not Native American, <laughs> in the right place, you know. Uh, overall, like he's someone who's fighting for you know the republic and the country itself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little bit of a war hero, and uh, he also fights for like the common person. You know, I mean, he did a lot of things. Even today, going back, that's why we're talking about it in the national park. Was he was that guy going and really, you know, he was in some of the the first groups in the first. Co- I would say East Coast elected official that was really pushing for something of like that, like a national park, mm-hmm. something being preserved mm-hmm. where no matter what you could go out there.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad he did because I mean, it's just so gorgeous out here. And yeah, it, it's sad for me, honestly, to think about what even, cause I grew up in Ohio, you know, you're, you're from Oklahoma, like where they didn't just completely plow over all the land, right? Like what did the natural scene? <laughs> yeah, <Like, right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you Oklahoma was very grass.
1: It's <laughs> all grass ridden uh-huh. and uh, some trees. Huh. It probably actually, honestly, not too different than what it looks like with the wheat fields. Cause that's what they uh-huh. grow in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. So,
0: but probably a lot more um, wild. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but I, I will say there are even though. Sorry, I just up, I'm just thinking like even the wheat fields. Though, that's probably something we just brought. Oh, a for sure. No, no that ago. did not exist. Yeah, no, hundred percent. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. Like, what oh, it was Native yeah. American land? What oh, like? for sure.
1: I think Oklahoma's beautiful, honestly. Really? Yeah. I I mean up in the northeast now the some it gets really arid out west. But um in the I mean you have the foothills of the Ozarks and I don't know if you've ever been to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is beautiful. Like there's a bunch of, you know, crystal clear mountain lakes and it's hilly. That's about all of it's it out there, but and so it's, you know Oklahoma and, and Tulsa is kind of in that area. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's pretty, it's like rolling hills, Mm -hmm. trees,
0: grasslands. Hmm. That's wild. And you mentioned, you know, obviously Teddy Roosevelt, and I don't know specifically what was done under his presidency, but you mentioned, you know, his less than favorable track record with native Americans. And I'm curious how you think about, as we look at historical figures and, and people today, right. And thinking about the good and bad that's inherent in everyone and the decisions that people make, right. Like, how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I think it's tough. I think the lessons learned. You know, every every action has to have some gauge, right? Like in the most extreme example, if we're gonna talk about Hitler, there's no way that you can rationalize his actions, Mm -hmm. right? Andrew Jackson, Trail of Tears, you know, Oklahoma was an Indian territory. You know, not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Really, really bad thing. And he's also the founding father of the Democratic Party. (laughs) So I don't know. I think that there, you have to take everything with a grain of salt, especially when you look on historical figures. Mm-hmm. You can't just brush it away and say, "Oh, it doesn't count." You know, it doesn't matter. It hugely, hugely impacts different people. You know, but I think you can also take the good out of actions and hope that they are enough, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I saw a crazy interview. Uh, have you seen the docu series on Kanye? No. Awesome. You got to watch it. Like you're going to hear all the songs and you're like, get thrown back to like yeah. the time that they're coming out. I love that. And then you see Kanye and the guy is a genius. Uh-huh. Like it's pretty impressive, uh-huh. but you also see like his madness kind of like setting on. And like you see him today versus like what he was mm-hmm. and he's still awesome. But it's like, that's someone too, that I hope that people in the, in the future, when they look back at Kanye, they don't judge him by his like, yeah. Final steps, or some of the craziness that he goes through, but you like kind of look at him and the music mm-hmm. he's done, and like how he built himself. That documentary is awesome.
0: Awesome, <laughs> I need to check that out. And dude, it's funny. It, the more I, uh, the more I think on that line from The Dark Knight. You know, you either, yeah, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Like right. I feel like that is just so true. Yeah especially for like big
1: time characters like
0: that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But that's, yeah. Like that's kind of how our society is set up. It's like, you can succeed until we turn on you. And then it's like, nope.
1: Yeah. I think it's tough. Like just uh, for fun to go back to like Kanye. Yeah. No, that guy's a genius, right. Mm -hmm. He's an
0: artistic genius.
1: Artistic geniuses have a history of, you know, probably being a little bit out there. Sure. And, um, you know, how do you check Kanye? <laughs> you know, how do you tell him what he's doing is wrong when he's yeah. like a creative genius, right? And you don't want
0: to stop that either because he has that like history of going on
1: medication, medication,
0: and getting off. Yeah. What is your so you're talking about Kanye and that like kind of artistic genius and yeah, isn't there all there there's some kind of artistry and madness go hand in hand?
1: Yeah. And just to close out that story, the reason why I I was my point is getting to is basically like you would you'd hope to be able to like help kanye not reach that point mm-hmm. but then also where do you start to limit the genius as well and that's kind of what's getting at.
0: yeah that's such a good point like to be an original person you're, you're by definition defying the norm
1: yeah yeah being thought-provoking yeah
0: mm-hmm. so we were just talking about books as well earlier and i'm um, curious you know when have you always loved to read, or is it something that you've gotten more into later in life? No,
1: it's so funny. It was definitely later on in life. I started off like hating reading anything nonfiction, and then you know, especially we also talked about earlier the internet coming out and like being a big thing. I remember getting like cable internet. Like, I just wanted to like read stories or go read things or go look at websites, and so like my attention span for text. Became in paragraph form almost. And so it took me until later on in my uh, 20s that I was like, probably later 20s, I started getting back into books.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. And what are some of your favorite types of books to read?
1: Uh, History, nonfiction, Uh uh, obviously, number one. I I think the other is um, I like, uh, I don't know, just basically some like fiction, but like pseudo realistic
0: fiction, if that makes sense. Totally. I can't stray too far into like, not like fantasy type fantasy stuff, stuff. Uh, In other words, yeah, worlds, yeah. Uh huh. What about you? I you know I used to read a lot of fantasy actually. That was my favorite as like a kid. Yeah. Um, and then good for I the imagination. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'd say really like around the time I started key, I started reading nonfiction, and that's pretty much all I read now. Oh, really? What made yeah. you uh, make the switch? You know, I just started. Uh, man, when it was the the couple months right after I quit, right when like we hadn't even like decided on key yet. And like we we're st- and then even when things started getting going with key, like I just had a lot of free time because mm-hmm. Pete and Tibby were still working at partners. And so I just was kind of, you know, I had a, just like a lot of like creativity time and, and I'd never really had that before in my life. And so I just started reading books about like successful entrepreneurs and learning their stories. I mean like, and that just kept leading me to, to yeah. keep searching.
1: Did that help like, reinforce the message you were telling yourself? like internally about doing this, making these steps. Totally. So did you leave key then knowing you're in it? I'm sorry. Leave Our partners group. group. Knowing you're gonna go into key, because the, no. the way you
0: phrase yeah. that I was gonna say because the way you phrase that,
1: it seemed like you were just kind of fed up, take you're gonna take a step away anyway.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, okay. Then so then yeah. how did key then come about? It was this pretty quick yeah. into your, your step away or
0: yeah, so when I left originally I'd been planning to actually do like this travel company, totally different idea. Shut up! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, yeah. Never heard this. Yeah, it was gonna be like like the amazing race, but you had to pay for it.
1: Okay, cool. Wow, I'm interested in <laughs>
0: Favorite show of all time, yeah, 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 for sure.
1: Okay, so tell me more about this business. Um, So
0: yeah, (laughs) started doing the that was like high level what I was thinking I was going to do. You know, I wasn't totally committed to it. Yeah, and then just as I left partners and started doing the research on it, like it's just it's It's expensive as fuck. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of
1: marketing. Yeah,
0: yeah. So just wasn't a great business model, and um, you know, I'd had an idea to do like a cannabis venture fund. A few months before that, I'd like read an article about how there's no financing for it, but like you know, I was still at work at the time, like it just kind of brushed it off.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Just was kind of thinking back to the other ideas I'd had, and that one came up, and like I, I knew Pete and Tibby, obviously a partners group, and like I'd also gotten to know them as friends, and just knew that they were also like very ambitious guys like me, and so sure came to them with the idea one day, and we just ran with it. Love it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you guys – I remember the very beginning and it was – so you decided at this point that you are going to be a part of Key and I'm sure that's why. I was going up to Tibby uh, with Tibby to uh, go skiing and that's where mm-hmm. I met you originally. Mm-hmm. You were living up in the cabin.
0: The, toll. the yeah, Troll Toll. The Troll Toll. That was trove, a, that was that a was, pretty cool
1: place. Like you yeah. had like a, a huge uh, fireplace with like wood. All It's like a classic cabin look, yeah. like wood everywhere. See, that was a
0: fun spot.
1: Yeah, it was a great mm-hmm. spot. It was in Silverthorn, which mm-hmm. has enough – there enough. There's more than you know. Three restaurants. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, two I would
0: like, go to one of the three <laughs> restaurants every week. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I just remember you guys kind of going through it. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, when I first saw you guys interacting, you seemed pretty uh, certain. Mm-hmm. I'll say it was cool to see you know some guys my age out there kind of you know sticking their necks out a little bit and then yeah. going after something even wilder to know that that wasn't you just seeing kind of just taking a step away to begin with so yeah very cool
0: yeah man no that that time was the best honestly like the first nine months before we actually started fundraising because like we just thought we were you know kings of the world like <laughs> half of the time of our lives just totally naive to how hard yeah. fundraising would be you know what i mean so sure. like, all the fun parts of starting a business and just you know everything's going right when you're you can't really screw anything up. You're not managing money. You haven't made any investments. And yeah. then we started fundraising and quickly realized, oh, shit, no, this is... How hard this is, is going to be. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a good time, man.
1: That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, cool. Or right, do you think that... What's like... I don't know. Spend the most fun or kind of like interesting wild ride you've experienced while creating key and running key. Yeah, yeah.
0: Man, that's... uh it's a tough question, man. It's, it's a really a vague, open ended right? question. Yeah. You know, I think it's just like, you have to learn to roll with the punches and keep having that determination, right. That resolve. Like there were times where things were really dark. Like you just, you know, we took a lot of debt out from friends and family at one yep. point, like, and when we started fundraising, the cap markets environment was really strong. It, and so That, again, fueled our naivety of just, you know, how easy this is going to be. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a ton of personal disposable income, too. So our runway was obviously
1: constrained on that. And how big was
0: your Rolodex at the time? Like, I mean, not great. Yeah. Yeah. You had some people, but it wasn't huge. It wasn't like you were, like,
1: 30 years into a career and and could just pull, you know, names. Exactly.
0: And our friends are obviously all our age, too. So, like, they don't have the net incomes either. So, like, the people we're trying to raise capital from, it's, you know, we had, like, we had very legitimate backgrounds and we did have good Rolodexes, just they were more junior folks. They didn't kind of say, yeah, yeah. Don't let me demean from... No, no, but I'm just saying, like, it was it was all tough, but that's, uh, you know, that's where the opportunity was. If it was easy, everyone would do it.
1: Exactly. I'm sure there are a few people trying to do it and follow up that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the careers are a wild thing. You know, I've kind of recently gone through a transition myself going back into sales And into a new industry, the software. Mm -hmm. Where did you think you'd be at this point in your career? And like, where, yeah, just the stark differences from then,
0: you know. Yeah. Dude, that's a great question. I mean, my, like, (laughs) my, career and life has taken so many hilarious unexpected or turns that like, I don't even know. I guess, it, I guess it depends on what, when I was wondering about it. Like, <laughs> Maybe not when yeah. you're eight or 12. Yeah. Like, let's say you're 18. I mean, I don't 20. know. I guess, I guess it like, it's 24. one of those things in hindsight that like it does totally make sense. Right. Where like, I never was a big pot smoker growing up. Like I smoked yeah. in college and high school occasionally with my friends and like, but I never really bought it till I lived in Colorado but I have definitely always been a bit of like a class clown or like hesitant to authority, right? But also have had like a pretty good grip on finance and math and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. like being in investing, but also in drugs is also like, it's like kind of a <laughs> hilarious, but also totally yeah. appropriate place for me.
1: I like it. Yeah. Did you see yourself as someone who'd start a venture capital firm, whether or not it's in the weed industry or not? You know,
0: girl. Grow- or being a corporate guy. When I, yeah, when I was – well, when I was uh, a kid, I didn't think I was going to go into business at all. Like I wanted to go into politics. That's right, yeah. do like uh, international affairs, something like that. Yeah. And then like just – Those dreams died quickly. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> I mean coming out of undergrad, like it's like, oh, you don't have a fucking PhD and right, two published yeah. books. Like you can't, get, you can't do anything in that. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then uh, – but, you know, I think that, that I've also come to the realization that I just – that governments in general are just inefficient bureaucratic and like not really the ones that are making the real changes anyway. So I mean, no I'm excited to run for office private.
1: and like change things yourself.
0: I mean, you I, can I guess definitely want to change things, yeah. but I don't know if me being in office is like the best way to really do does it. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. I think I can provide more value. Maybe being the guy on the outside being like, yo, the emperor doesn't have any fucking clothes on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be a good man to do it. <laughs> yeah, <a lot> <laughs> <great>. man. Definitely. <laughs> That's cool. What do you mm. think about the U.S. government? And I know you think it's all corrupt or whatever, but I mean, <laughs> let's hear your thoughts then about, like, where are we going now? Like, we've been yeah. all the way right now, all the way left. And, like, where does it... go? Where are we in 12 crazy, years? Man.
0: I mean, I think we're at a point where something big is going to happen one way or the other, right? Like, I, I think realistically either... Actually, no. Let me take a step back. I think what is the most likely outcome is that we expose what's going on within the military industrial complex. Then we start to have open communications with extraterrestrials and we transition to a much fair, peaceful society. I, I really do think that Does it is take extraterrestrial somewhere. intervention for us to, to do that. It's a great question. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's tough. Is that why, what drove your seeking
0: of knowledge and like extraterrestrial and like you know, consciousness aspects? Man, it just – the extraterrestrial part of it was the least interesting part of it to me, honestly. Like I just watched that documentary because both Pete and Tibby were like, yo, this is a Which documentary? Closing Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Okay,
1: so the one I saw too. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. But that's okay. what
0: really kicked it off for me. But – um <clears throat> You know, I'd, I'd seen that the Pentagon said there were these UFOs. Like, we right. know these Yeah, are. I mean, that came out as news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was naturally curious. And then when both of those guys were like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, you should check out what he's saying. So I saw that. And then, you know, I'd had, I'd had experiences of like when he's talking about spirituality and this like unified field of consciousness. Sure, yeah. I'd, I'd had experiences on psychedelics that connected with me, but I hadn't had the context before, you know, when I'd had those experiences. <laughs> okay, okay. And so then fast forward, like two weeks after I first saw Closing Counts of the Fifth Kind for the first time, yeah. I was reading one of the books he recommended, which is called Holographic Universe. I got you that as well. Yes. Yeah. Definitely going to read that. Solid 10 pages deep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. It's dense, but it's fucking mind blowing. Okay. But anyway, so I was reading that book and decided to just go explore consciousness, took two tabs of LSD okay. and totally like unexpectedly had a transcendental experience, full ego dissolution, where I just felt connected to this higher unit of field. And that, you know, I had no fear of death. Like it was really profound. And so that experience supported the spiritual claims that Greer was talking about in the documentary. And so then I just started chasing down every single rabbit hole, everything he talks about from the metaphysical concepts, from the psychic abilities to the extraterrestrial phenomenon, to the corruption of the military industrial complex. And so far it's all... It's all held up. Yeah, been true. Yeah. Wow.
1: So it's just like bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. And then you're in it. You're in deep. What do you, have you found to bend kind of the, the truth then? So if someone is now kind of just found the wormhole, you know, mm-hmm. the rabbit mm-hmm. hole, and they are going to go start looking for stuff
0: to seek, yeah. where would you advise them?
1: to? What directions would you, you point them?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think I'd say it depends on – Which element of this, of the true, truer nature of reality, I'll say, because I think the further back we peel this onion, the more crazy it just keeps getting. Okay. But yeah, just, you know, of the kind of various topics that are all seemingly independent, but are also interrelated, just whatever is you know, the most interesting part of it. Like I think close encounters of the fifth kind is one I typically recommend to people just because I think it does a good job of bringing it all together in a very coherent story. Okay. But then like the holographic universe, if you just want to understand the physics of it is, is the best. Okay. Yeah.
1: Is it the physics that you're most interested in?
0: I think it's the physics that like what I needed to get there just because I come like solidifies it for you. It puts it in
1: rational terms. Exactly. Okay. Exactly.
0: Cool. So that was like what enabled me to start believing, and then once you believe, then you know you start to see. <laughs> yeah. Once you pass the tipping point, yeah, you can't go back. Yeah, exactly.
1: Gotcha. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think if there's anything that I believe in so much and like so holy. Yeah. Like, I think there's like, I definitely think that there's like a definitely true essence of life that everyone has to figure out mm-hmm. for sure. And I think that a lot of that starts out early when you're finding out how to become a man or a woman or, you know, whatever kind of you're choosing to be. But, like, I think that's the first, like, consciousness hurdle that I came over and I think a lot of people come over. And then just knowing and kind of trying to figure out where we fit in the greater society. You hear a lot of people uh, or a lot of times you hear about people or. They say that as you kind of get older into your, you know, 30s and 40s and move on, that you start to become much more aware of the world around you, your own existence, that there's a finite amount of time, right? Those things start to hit you. Mm. And so I think it's interesting that you're asking yourself at this time, like what's going on in, in, in the metaphysical and, and understanding all that stuff. I think it's, uh, I think it's really cool and, and good way to like keep yourself like educated and learning about things. You know, I think that always makes you a better, sharper, better, you know, person that allows you to, um, use that same kind of uh, critical thinking mm-hmm. in your
0: day-to-day activities, you know, like work and, and other aspects of life. Totally. I totally agree with that. Um, it's one of those things where it's just like, you keep feeding that curiosity. It just keeps compounding. Yeah. Know? It's like a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of good things. If you're open to talking about what we did on Saturday, that was a pretty unique experience.
1: Yeah, it was. So if you don't know, uh, (laughs) Jordan and I, uh, smoked or took DMT, um, on Saturday and, uh, had a pretty surreal experience. It was in, uh, 10 we did that along with some meditation and kind of, you know, getting ourselves focused and and set right that it was, um, it was a really interesting experience. So I'll let you take it from there, but yeah, I'm open to talking about it. Yeah,
0: no, I, uh. I'm just curious, given what we're just talking about with consciousness. I mean, how did that, if at all, impact the way that you view consciousness?
1: You know, I don't think it affected uh, impacted my view of, of consciousness
0: negatively or affect uh,
1: positively. I think it was like a definite out of body experience. Like it was pretty intense, um, but for me, it was more of almost like being in a weird visual art house. Mm. And I think that if if you've never taken DMT before, it only lasts for five, 10, 15 minutes. It is is not a long writing drug. And I think that's almost to the, you know, thank God, but to the detriment of like the experiences that I know it's going to come out. Like I go in knowing it's going to be a short amount of time. So maybe that prohibits my ability to like really think about it deeper on a a deeper level.
0: Yeah, I think. To that point. I mean, so it's both of our first time doing it. It's right, so right. short. So it's like so powerful too that it's just so hard to process like, well. Wow. Right. So I did it twice. Uh-huh. The first time I couldn't even like it
1: was like there. I <laughs> mean, you know, like I, I was just like there kind of taking it in. And yeah. I couldn't no control, nothing ever, you know, just visually whatever. But the second time I definitely felt like I had a little bit more control. And yeah. So yeah, I think if you were to continue and try and Use it even as like a meditation tool or Uh something of that nature that it would be, you know, pretty impactful. Yeah. I mean, it is truly a wild experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'll say the one big takeaway I had from it because so besides that other acid trip I talked about, you know, that really started this for me this was like the other time I've had like just full ego dissolution. Right. And like, sure to me, that means like, I knew I had no body. I was not the stories that like just this, this, the human Jordan Euclid that I think I am, but I was certainly still my same consciousness, but in an entirely different reality or like different dimension, even, I don't don't even know how to properly explain where I was, but it was an experience on like anything that, could possibly have happened here as a human, yes, I would agree. I
1: was definitely taken out of my body, so I, I will say, do this for me define like you say out of body experience, yeah, like what
0: does that mean to you because I know what it means to you, yeah, me, like, to me, it means like where I have totally disassociated it's and that's actually what I sent that text about the other day, right how that that study I sent you with like comparing meditation to, to psychedelics. And I think what it is, is like with higher states of consciousness, right? So like in the Vedic tradition, they call it transcendental consciousness than cosmic consciousness. Okay. And so I think once you get to that point of ego dissolution, either through psychedelics or meditation, like it's almost like you, you either get there or you don't, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like, it's a tipping point.
1: I would agree. Uh, okay. So I think that's what you're saying. And yeah, I, I've never had like, I've had out of body experiences. I've not had an ego dissolution uh-huh. experience as you're describing. So,
0: but would you, I mean, you don't think the DMT experience was that?
1: No, I would say my ego is still intact.
0: Really? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's
1: why I, I wanted to get your definition. And I like that you said, you know, the ego dissolution because. That allows me to, to know like how far like you truly felt. It was an out of body experience for me. I definitely mm-hmm. felt was not, did not feel my body it felt like I went to another. So, to describe my what I saw is I went to like literally it's like a very geometrically driven uh, green and some like uh, red colors. And all of a sudden that like dissolved and I went to a room and I saw more shapes and colors, but it was very distinctly like a yeah. three sided room. I was looking kind of more towards one corner and <laughs> yeah, I like, I think I saw a bed and like, I like, Really? I said, yeah. And like, uh, it was also, I saw a Lego man. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So it was, it was s- surreal and it was so vivid. Yeah. That's what I will say. It was, I've never experienced something so vivid in my life as in those five minutes or however long it was. Yeah.
0: Did you like communicate with the Lego man at
1: all? I could not, yeah, th- not even capable. I was uh, so just like, uh, okay. what is going on? <laughs> that I could not, like, interact in that manner. The second time I did, I felt like I was like, okay, like, I can kind of control this and like, yeah. do whatever. But, no, the first time. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's funny. Yeah, it was, it was wild, man. I, like, still don't know if I even come close to processing it but it was it was cool it was definitely a good experience that
1: whole uh thing was a great experience Mm -hmm. doing the meditation kind of like getting together and talking about it and stuff i thought was uh uh, really cool
0: yeah yeah cool that's fun man yeah well dude this has been such a fun conversation man
1: absolutely Uh, jordan i appreciate this uh coming over finally get to see the podcast see what's happening (laughs) always good to hang out Good to be a part of it, too.
0: Absolutely, man. Really appreciate you coming on. And uh, it's been a blast. We'll have to have another episode at some point. Sounds great, man. Love it, brother. Absolutely. Right back at you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. I wanted to dive further into Joe and my discussion about Teddy Roosevelt and the complicated reality of being a human being. Joe and I live in Colorado and have had the benefit of visiting many of the national parks that Roosevelt established after coming to office in 1901. Without the support of Roosevelt and others like John Muir, these beautiful places would undoubtedly have been torn down, parceled off, and sold for private ownership. So we are understandably appreciative of Roosevelt's love for conservation and protection of the environment. And yet, Teddy Roosevelt was a known racist with a long history of animosity towards Native Americans. In an 1886 speech, he stated... Don't go so far as to think that the only good Indians are the dead Indians, but I believe nine out of every ten are, and I shouldn't like to inquire too closely about the case of the Tenth. Roosevelt supported the General Allotment Act, or Dawes Act, which involved the forcible removal of Native American tribes from their lands. This in turn reduced the total land held by Native Americans from 138 million acres in 1887 to 48 million acres at the end of the allotment period, about a third. Roosevelt also emphasized that Indian education should be elementary and largely industrial, and that the need of higher education was very, very limited. So that leaves us with the question, how should Teddy be remembered in the history books? As a lover of nature and staunch defender of conservation, as another imperialistic subjugator continuing the long trend of white men committing atrocities against Native peoples, is it such a crazy idea that he be remembered for both? You see, in today's cancel culture, we've continued to spiral down a path of whitewashing history where we attempt to hold people to today's standards without recognizing the cultural context of the environment in which those men and women lived. We find any excuse to erase all of the ideas and actions of an individual in turn forgetting the sage advice to judge not lest ye be judged, that every sinner has a future and every saint has a past. We fail to recognize that being a human is inherently complicated that we all have a shadow and a light side, that no person is purely good or purely evil, and every person is at least partially a product of the culture and the times in which they live. By no means am I justifying Roosevelt's actions against Native Americans or suggesting that we should not attempt to live by our own highest codes of integrity and morality. My point, rather, is that we should focus on supporting the ideas, the movements, and the actions of our forefathers when those initiatives support natural law and evolution towards harmony. When those ideas were founded in unjust and discriminatory policies, we should work together collectively to level up our consciousness and to fix their mistakes. Instead, far too often today, we prefer to idolize people when it's popular to do so then vilify and destroy everything they've done once public opinion turns. Take George Washington as another example, widely recognized as one of, if not the single greatest American president ever. Among his long list of accomplishments includes Washington's decision to step down from the presidency after two terms, even though at the time he was not constitutionally obligated to do so. In so doing, Washington single-handedly changed the direction of history by setting the standard for a peaceful transition of power for modern governments to follow. And yet, George Washington was a slave owner. He first inherited 10 slaves in 1743 at the age of 11 when his father died. Throughout his life, Washington purchased additional people, and by the time of his death, George Washington personally enslaved 123 people. While he did emancipate those slaves in his will, it's impossible not to spot the hypocrisy in one of the men we consider to be the founding fathers of liberty, personally owning and enslaving over 100 people. We tend to idolize and fantasize about the U.S. Constitution and the founding fathers as these perfect paradigms of virtue and liberty, but the reality is far more complicated. Because America has always been a society that favors elites over the many, both implicitly and explicitly, despite the constant messaging of the U.S. as the land of the free with equal rights for all. Let's not forget the three-fifths compromise of the Constitutional Convention, where it was decided that slaves would count as three-fifths of a person in counting the population of the states. This, in turn, granted additional control to Congress, to to southern states with legal slavery— Of course, those three-fifths votes weren't given to the slaves themselves, but rather to the wealthy, landowning white men who owned them. Talk about a conspiracy. And while the long march of freedom has progressively granted more more autonomy to the individual, so too has the control of the elites evolved and taken on subtler, more deceptive tactics. So that all brings me to one of the more polarizing personalities of civilization today, Joe Rogan. Joe's a man who people tend to have strong feelings about one way or another. My personal view is that he's done an incredible act of service in providing a platform to those who would not otherwise receive a voice in the mainstream media. But if you don't agree with me, you are entitled to not listen to him and to not like him. But what you are not entitled to do is silence him because you disagree with his or his guest's opinions. Open discourse is vital to the survival of democracy. (laughs) The First Amendment of the Bill of Rights could not be clearer. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. This is the forest that people are missing for the trees. I've written previously about the fallout from Joe Rogan's interviews of doctors Peter McCullough and Robert Malone. These led to attempts by some artists to boycott Spotify in the guise of stopping medical misinformation when the true issues at hand in these discussions are much deeper and more nuanced. Shortly after the Malone interview, in timing that appears to be crazy coincidental, an attack video surfaced in which clips were pulled to portray Rogan as a racist who frequently uses the N-word. Again, I'm in no way condoning hate or racist speech. But my point is that this video was clearly put together as an attempt to weaponize free speech. The creators of this video were not innocently listening to an episode when they became offended. Rather, Joe has recorded over 1,800 episodes, almost all of which are at least two hours. So they went and combed through at least 3,600 hours of footage to find all the absolute worst things Joe has ever said. Why? What is the message that is so important to suppress? Again, this is the forest we cannot miss through the trees. Big Brother, or as we call him in 2022, the Trusted News Initiative, only takes control if we let him. One final note, I wanted to correct a statistic I mentioned during this interview. I mentioned that the intelligence agencies had seized hundreds of patents in recent years. That number's actually way off. 5,784 is the more relevant number. That's the number of patents being suppressed via the U.S. government's classified patent program as of 2017 based on a Freedom of Information Act request. This suppression of technology dates all the way back to 1951 when the Invention Secrecy Act was signed into law. What could they be hiding with all of that technology?